the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Tuesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. If you've got questions about church, anything and everything, all you have to do is call. You can dial 210-340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else will be taken care of. And we would love to hear from you. Our first day of February. Boy, are you ready for the cold weather this week? I've been worried about it all weekend. It's going to be cold, Paul, I kept saying. Hey, we got nothing to talk about, so let's get to right to questions. Lisa is first, and she says, Pastor Ron, uh, since we can't lose the Holy Spirit, why did David say, take not thy Holy Spirit from me? Um, Lisa, remember now a couple of things about David, and, and I think we always forget this. We look at David, he was a man after God's own heart, and we think that the things that applied to him apply to us. Um, um, but remember, the Holy Spirit hadn't been given to David. Now, the Holy Spirit would come upon the Old Testament uh, heroes from time to time to perform certain feats. Um, but but they didn't have the Holy Spirit like you and I have, Lisa. Um, the idea of Christ in us, the hope of glory, was unthinkable to to uh, to our Old Testament saints, and that's why our response to grace should be so much greater than theirs. And David was talking about, um, in light of his sin, don't take your anointing from me, and that would be the anointing as king. Um, Psalm 51, Lisa, is the best place to go for to understand um, what the what that's all about, David. And I've said this often. One of the reasons that David is uh, a man after God's own heart, in spite of the horrible things that he was guilty of at times, is he was the best repenter in the world. And Psalm 51 is that psalm of repentance. Nathan had said, "You're the man," and he was busted. Um, and David tried to hide his sin uh, and his crimes for nearly a year. And um, when Nathan came in and busted him, uh, David's response was Psalm 51. Um, Renew within me a right spirit. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Uh, it started off, Lisa, with him saying, God, I've sinned against thee and thee only have I sinned. And he was taking responsibility. 
So that's what he was talking about. Uh, he was saying, don't take my anointing as king. That's what he would mean, what he would understand uh, in talking about uh, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Real quickly, Lisa and everybody else in the audience, there are some things that we have to really remember when we're studying our Bibles. We have to remember the different ways that God dealt with people, the things that that that, that apply to David don't apply to us and vice versa. And we need to always, always, always remember that. I know pastors that have fallen into sexual sin and they said, well, God, God restored David, but, but David wasn't a pastor. David didn't have God's spirit living in him. David wasn't given the responsibility of pastoring or shepherding uh, people in the church. And, and so it's just, it seems like we run to David when it's convenient, but we distance ourselves from him when it's not. Hope that helps. Thank you for the call, Lisa, or for the question. Uh, Philip wants to know the impossible question. <laughs> Philip says, what can be done about the deep divisions in the church over things like politics and vaccines, etc.? The last two years have been really difficult. Um, Philip, I imagine that things are going to get even more difficult. Let me go back a ways. And when I take a long time on a question, I've got nobody waiting on the phone and and uh, we'd love your calls, but uh, I, I, I don't want to be rude to any phone callers, so nobody's waiting. Um, Philip, when, when the, the pandemic first started, uh, we go back to February, March of 2020, um, I said, and I believe that the, the Lord had spoken to me by the Holy Spirit, and I let Calvary Chapel of San Antonio know that, first of all, this virus is not from God. You know, there were a lot of questions. Is God punishing us? Those kind of things. The answer was no. But I also then said that God was going to use this crisis to shake out, not shake up, but to shake out his true church. And, you know, we had just come um, um, into an election season. It already had started the politicking early in 2020. And um, I think God was shaking out his true church. Um, we had to decide which kingdom were we really interested in. We had to decide whether or not we were going to persevere. Were we going to let fear keep us inside? Um, uh, was the church going to continue to function as a church? And as you know, Philip, there were all kinds of of uh, controversies and sides being taken over. Should churches be open or should churches be closed? Uh, and I think what we've seen is um, a lot of churches didn't survive the last two years. Um, a lot of churches that are barely, barely keeping the doors open uh, have lost a lot of people. And I think a lot of people have come. We, we've had an enormous number of new people um, in, in just the last year. And um, I think people got tired of waiting for churches to open. And, and God simply moved his people, his believers, to, uh, to places where, where churches would take a stand for the Lord. So I think what we're in is still is that shaking out process. All of that to say that I don't think there's a lot we can do about it. Now, individually, Philip, what we can all do is set our hearts and our minds on things above. Paul wrote that to the church in Colossae uh, in chapter 3, the first couple of verses. Um, we can make sure we're looking up instead of out. We can be sure that our priorities are in order, that, that, that our kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. We're not looking for heaven on earth. And I think we have been conditioned um, especially in the evangelical church, to tie politics so closely to the work of the church that we've forgotten what the real work of the church is. So, um, Philip, for you, you said these last two years have been really difficult for you. What you can do is you stay so close to Jesus that you're okay, that through difficult times you prove to be one of those who, as God shakes out his true church, that, that you're one who's left standing firmly with Jesus and you continue to do the work that he's called us to do. 
We've been talking a lot here at Calvary Chapel about Occupy until he comes. We believe that the Lord is coming, and we believe he's coming very soon. But until he does, and even if he does not, we need to occupy. We need to be about our Father's business in heaven. And our Father's business is scattering the the seed of the Word of God. I am going to be teaching this coming Sunday the parable of the sower, beginning in Mark chapter 4. And um, that's our work. That's our work. Um, church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's one of the things that we're called to do. And, uh, Philip, what we have to do now is make individual decisions, both as individual Christians and individual churches, about what our focus is going to be. So don't get caught up in all of the nonsense. Stay off social media um, as much as you possibly can. I realize that, that that's not going to happen for most people. Um, but keep your focus on the Word. Keep your focus on being in the presence of Jesus. And be a peacemaker and a reconciler rather than someone who sows division or gets caught up in the work of others who are trying to sow division. Uh, I think, Philip, personally, that things are going to get even more difficult. Uh, that's what uh, Paul tells Timothy in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. I think we're in that period of time um, of the apostasy or just the beginning of the great falling away. And I think by definition, uh, there is going to be greater division between the true believers and those who are only marginally invested in following Jesus Christ. So thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a call from Edward. Edward says, my question is about Christians who use antidepressant drugs. Is this a lack of faith? Edward, it's not a lack of faith. Uh, we, we also need as Christians to stop judging other people and getting in their business. Now, I, I hate drugs of any type. I have a really low tolerance. I mean, I can't even take NyQuil or contact without going to sleep for a day and a half. So I just don't do those things. Um, my only issue with Christians who use antidepressants is that they have done that, uh, sometimes under the advice of doctors, doctors who prescribe antidepressants now so often, even without physical exams. Um, uh, I think first I would want to know that the people I care about are seeking the Lord and his help on these things. Having said that, there are Christians who have real physical and mental and emotional issues. And the, the um, antidepressant drugs can help them with them. Uh, there are uh, uh, men and women who are bipolar. And there are drugs that help their lives be managed. And I think as Christian, it's our job to do what we need to do to be able to stay fruitful for the Lord. So no, it's not a lack of faith, but it's also not the first place that we turn when we're, tr when we're struggling with anxiety or depression or uh, other, other things. Now, Edward, depression is real. Um, I get depressed if, if, if I'm focusing on the wrong things. And all I would suggest that if this question is personal for you or if it's for somebody that you care for, uh, I would just suggest that that your first turn should be to Jesus. Ask him whether or not you should be on antidepressants. He'll give you the peace about it if it is. And if not, I think he'll let you know. So I, I'm just right in the middle of this issue, but but I get angry. Edward, when I hear, um, and it's usually prosperity, faith, health, and wealth Christians who say it's a lack of faith, that makes me angry. They have no business being in your business. Uh, and so just just keep these things between you and the Lord. And believe me, if, if you need antidepressant drugs to function fruitfully for Jesus, then he would be all for you taking them. 
So I hope that makes sense to you. People want answers that are one extreme or the other, and that's just not where I find the truth is. I always find the truth is in the balance, and uh, that's the, the answer, Edward, that I gave you. I hope that helps. Ronaldo, I always think of soccer when I hear the name. Uh, Ronaldo says, I just graduated from high school last year and want to propose to my girlfriend. My parents think I am too young. What does the Bible say? Um, (laughs) Ronaldo, the Bible, uh, they got young really, really early in Bible days. And and the um, marriages were typically arranged. The the, the children didn't have much say-so in the matter. Uh, It's still that way, by the way, in, in many parts of the world. Um, but, um, uh, I, I think probably your parents, we know they love you. Um, I would certainly consider what they have to, to offer. Uh, if you are still being supported by your parents, then I think you need not only their permission, but you need their blessing. And, um, maybe it's time for you to move out of the house and live on your own and, and you and your fiancé um, or your fiancé-to-be. Um, learn to walk with Jesus on your own. But then you got to be willing to accept the consequences and the responsibilities of being an adult. When, when teenagers start making adult decisions, then they need to share in the adult blessings and or the adult consequences of those decisions. Um, the Bible doesn't say. You know, Ronaldo, I've obviously done a lot of weddings, and uh, I've, had, um, I've had parents demand that I tell their kids they can't get married. I said, look, that's not my job. I'm not like their parents. Um, my job is to tell them what a Christian marriage is really all about. And um, I've had parents who were right, when they thought their kids were too young and immature. Um, But I've had parents wrong. Um, I've had parents that didn't agree. One one parent would say, uh, no, they're ready. The other parent would say, no, they're not. And, um, you know, this is where we have to take the side of the Lord. And when we take the Lord's side, what we do then is we, um, we just really seek the Lord on these kind of things. So the Bible didn't say that you're too young. Uh, you know what your walk is right is like with the Lord. Um, you're intended. Um, you know her. She knows what her walk is like with the Lord. Um, and I think if you really, really seek him, he'll give you his heart. He knows everything. He knows whether or not you're ready. Um Ask the Lord for wisdom. James says that he gives it liberally or generously to those who ask. All you have to do is be willing to really hear his voice, even if it's contrary to what you want to say. So that's the best I can do, not knowing any more about the situation. Uh, Is there fruit coming from your life? Do your parents, uh, are they the problem with the, the, the girl you've chosen, or is it something else altogether? Hope that helps. Let's go to our phone lines and talk with our friend Ruben from Seguin. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, and uh, excuse me. God bless you, Pastor Ron. As always, I just love talking to you. I love hearing your voice. Um, you are a blessing to me. You you have been a blessing to me for almost 10 years now. Coming up Valentine's <laughs> Day next year as 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 one of your faithful listeners reminded us. You remember, she reminded us that the first time I ever called you was on a Valentine's Day, almost ten years oh, yeah. ago. Wow! Yeah, so it's been a long time. It's been a long time. So, yeah. I, uh, I thought it was. I, 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 I thought it was weird, Ruben. I thought it was weird that she would remember that. <laughs> I did too. Yes, but you know what? Praise yeah. the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. Yeah, for it's that, cool. That. That that's yeah that is cool that is cool. Um, I I uh, first I I have I want to ask for some prayer, um, for my mom. Um, she is 
not doing so well. Um, out of nowhere, uh, dementia hit her. And I know nothing of dementia, nothing. And seeing what it's doing to her in just two months, it is heartbreaking. It is, Yeah. she's, uh, they, they put her on hospice already. Um, yesterday they had to call a chaplain in, even though she's not Catholic, but um, hospice, I believe they're run by Catholic charities. I'm not too sure. But anyways, yeah. we didn't, we didn't, you know, bother that. We said, go ahead, come in. And, <clears throat> you know, we believe what we believe. So anyways, to give her her last rites or whatever, because, you know, the nurses said that they don't know how long she's going to be with us. So um, pray for the Vela family and uh, um, that the Lord will just get us through this time and prepare my heart because my mom is, you know, she's always told me, Hey, Ruben, you know, I'm so sorry that I didn't leave y'all money. I didn't leave y'all an inheritance. I didn't leave y'all land. I didn't leave y'all anything, you know. Um, and I said, Mom, you know what? You did. I said, you gave us the greatest thing that you could have ever given anyone, and that's the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I said, that's the biggest thing you could have ever given to us. So, you know, just keep her in prayer, please, and my family, and also for me. Okay, because, Ruben, can, uh, Ruben Friday, before you go on, Ruben, before you go on, can we have your mom's first name so people can pray for yeah. her personally? Yes, her name is Lupe. Lupe, okay, Lupe, we got it, L thank you. Yeah, Lupe, L-U-P-E. Yep. Yeah. yeah, thank you, sir. And then um, right. I'm going to have surgery on my knees next week. And I pray that 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 that'll be the road for me to get completely recovered. I honestly feel that the Lord has healed me from my back. I just feel that. Praise the Lord. So I just feel that. And then one one question, and, and if you can, because I know you're about to go to the next hour, can somebody sell their souls to the devil? Oh, wow. Is that scriptural? Yeah, it, it is not. It's it's great drama and and fiction, but um, no, you can't sell your soul to the devil. The devil doesn't have that kind of power or authority. And um, while while literature is replete with stories like that, that's simply not biblical. And and uh, you know the power of God is so infinitely greater than the power of Satan. Um, that that anybody who thinks they've done that, and I've actually had this question privately from people three or four times in the last few weeks, Ruben. Um, people that, well, well, I made a, a contract with the devil when I was 14, or I made a contract with the devil when I did this or when I did that. And, and the answer is, all you have to do is to break, to break the power of the devil, is repent and offer your heart to Jesus Christ. And uh, God forgives you and all things become new. So, um, no, nobody can sell their soul to the devil. Um, that's the one thing that the Lord prevents us. Um, uh, just by virtue of his loving care for us, he doesn't allow the enemy that kind of access into our lives. Uh, the devil can test you and he can lie to you and he will condemn and he will huff and puff and threaten to blow your spiritual house down. But no, he does not have that power authority at all in any way, shape, or form. Ruben, thanks a lot. And let me also say that, that dementia and Alzheimer's um, is, is one of the cruelest things that we have to uh, watch our loved ones go through. So we will be praying for you, and we will be praying for Lupe. And uh, if you don't mind, Ruben, give us a phone call uh, the day before you go into the hospital for your surgery on your knee, and we will uh, we'll be reminded to pray. Reuben, thank you very, very much. Got time for one short question before. Here's one uh, from Vince. He says, uh, Pastor Ron, is preterism heresy? Um, Vince, it's not technically heresy. Heresy occurs when we have um, blasphemed uh, the character of God, uh, when our teaching diminishes 
um, the deity of Jesus Christ. But whenever we're we're messing with the character or the nature of our Lord, then that's what gets into heresy. Preterism is silly, and it's wrong. Um, but but it certainly being a preterist certainly would not disqualify somebody from going to heaven. Um, so uh, Vince, I think it's 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 tragedy that that people can't look at the Bible for what it says and understand it. And that's what preterists do. For those of you in the audience who don't know, preterism is the false teaching that says uh, all prophecy has been fulfilled or was fulfilled in 70 A.D. And so the prophetic parts of Scripture are nothing more than allegories. And, of course, we know that's not true. It cannot be true. And um, so, Vince, I think um, just try to reason with your friends or people in your church, wherever this is coming from, um, and go to the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. Thank you, Vince. We've got 30 minutes left in our week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585. Here is an anonymous question from our mobile app. Uh, I visited a friend's church. I found out I found out something I never heard of before. The pastor claims to be an apostle rather than a pastor. Is there a difference, or is that even correct? Anonymous, it is. Um, it is so not correct. Uh, it is so. Uh, that, that's a church that's um, hyper charismatic. I'm certain. Um, um, you know, I don't know what it is that we, we Christians have with titles, um, but, but, you know, we need to be more and more important. We're first a pastor and we're a bishop. Well, this guy's elevated himself all the way to, to being an apostle. Ephesians 2.20 makes it absolutely clear that there are no apostles or prophets today. The gift of prophecy still exists but it's completely different than what somebody who would say they are a prophet would do. Um, the same with apostle. Apostles were a gift given to the church. They were a foundational gift. And the church is being built. The Greek language is very expressive this way. It's in the continuous present tense. On the foundation already laid, meaning past tense, finished and over. So the Foundational gifts to the church, apostles and prophets, no longer are active or functional today. Now, when somebody says, I'm an apostle, um, basically what they're doing is they're, they're, they're elevating themselves and typically trying to lord over other people. Um, you know, you'll get a lot of don't touch the Lord's anointed kind of stuff from them. And that is just wrong. Uh, I would lovingly tell my friend that his church is way, way, way out of balance. It is not healthy. Uh, it's not a church that teaches the word because, frankly, it's not a church that understands the word. And you're going to find a lot of faith, prosperity, um, uh, kind of teaching there. You're going to find an emphasis on giving money. Uh, the man who has elevated himself to an apostle is almost certainly uh, going to be living at a standard of living far above the people in the church. So um, your your discernment was clicking. Um, there's no such thing. Let me also say this. Uh, I can't imagine why anybody who calls himself a pastor would want authority over other people's lives. I am a pastor. And, and, and as, as a pastor, 
um, there are always people who who want to to put me in a position of authority in their lives, and that's simply not who we are. We're to lead people to Jesus. They the people belong to Him and not to us. And if you understand that, and you have the the, the humility that goes along with that then what you find out is that God blesses you and being a pastor is just the greatest job in the world. Uh, I I wouldn't want to be anything else. So there are no apostles. This is an unhealthy, out-of-balance church and not something at all that your uh, your friend should be involved with at all. So thank you for that and please pray for your friend. Here's another question from our mobile app from Scott. Um, I just heard Ruben make a comment about chaplains and that they may be Catholic. I know of Protestant chaplains. What is the role of chaplains in your church? Um, Scott, we don't actually have any chaplains in our church. Uh, I've got a whole staff of pastors, and um, and, and we, we certainly do the kind of work that a chaplain does. You are right, Scott, about um, uh, both Protestant and Catholic chaplains in the city that we live in, which is um, 60% Catholic, um, uh, those who claim um, a tie to a religion. Um, and and a lot of the chaplains, whether they're in the, the hospitals, in the military, uh, or or police chaplains, um, uh, there's there's a lot of Catholic chaplains. Um, I've, I've had a heart for police officers in particular. Um, for, gosh, almost since I got saved. And I really wanted to be a chaplain uh, for for the Universal City Police Force, San Antonio PD. We've had a lot of policemen in our church. And um, and the SAPD chaplaincy is pretty well uh, locked up uh, by Catholics. And so it's hard to, to, to get any access. So what we do is we just pray for the police officers and the police officers that are in our church. Um, uh, they're used by the Lord. Um, but, um, yeah, the chaplains come in all flavors and brands. That's the problem. Uh, Jesus is just one. Uh, the military chaplains, my goodness, what a tough job they have now because uh, they're not allowed by by military Rule. They're not allowed to uh, to proselytize to tell people about Jesus, and, um, and and a chaplain starts stops being a chaplain when he can't tell people the truth. So uh, you're right. Thank you, Scott, for that. Uh, I'm not a big fan of people coming in and giving last rites. Um, it, it misleads people. Um, you know, when you've got somebody in the hospital. Uh, the one thing you want to do is you want somebody there who's going to be faithful to tell them about Jesus, especially in view of the fact that they might not have much time left. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate the reminder. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Irene says, can you explain dispensationalism simply, please? Um, Irene, I will. Um, the, the idea of dispensations is nothing more than God deals with different people at different times in history in different ways. Uh, I'm going to make it so simple. I'm going to break it down to the very basics. Um, imagine the cross right in the middle of human history. Uh, the people who lived before the cross, God dealt with them one way. People who lived after the cross, God deals with them in another the people that lived before the cross. Now, there are other dispensations. Um, um, Adam and Eve, God dealt with them differently than he dealt with anybody else. Um, before the law, uh, he dealt with them according to conscience uh, and creation. Um, and then there was Moses. Um, before that, uh, Abraham. And then Moses. And Moses, of course, he dealt with people from that point forward uh, according to the law. And the law says, don't do this. Um, because we did it, we're guilty. Um, those are the people, and, and that's a, a quick simplification. But when we get to the cross and move forward in history, God deals with us in grace. God is a merciful God. God is a patient, a long-suffering God. And, um, Irene, that's really what dispensationalism is. Now, there are other facets to it, but... 
Uh, it is the only way to truly understand your Bible. If you don't believe that God deals with different people in different times, different ways, then you're going to read uh, the Old Testament and you're going to you're going to take all those promises made to Israel and you're going to say, "Well, those promises are for me," and they're not. That's just bad um, um, Bible study. So, um, as simply as I can put it. Uh, God deals with people in different ways in different times. In these last days, he's He's spoken to us in his son, Hebrews 1 says, and he deals with us on the basis of what his son has accomplished. So I hope that makes sense to you, Irene. Please, please, please um, really dig in because it's it's worth knowing. The only thing that we have to be careful of, and I don't know how long you've been listening to this program, Irene, but every once in a while, we get people who change their names to try to get behind our producers or to, to get by our producers, rather. And uh, and what they'll want to do is they're hyper-dispensationalists and, and they've got like 42 different dispensations. And and um, um, and that's, that's you have to be careful. I, I, think, I think if you find yourself looking at more than seven different dispensations, you're probably um, in a position that's out of balance. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from, oh, no, wait a minute. I got a phone call waiting. Joel from Converse on line one. Joel, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Joel. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm calling because my son has been very, very hurt. He lost his granddaughter. He lost his daughter when she was about three months old. It was a very bad situation of how it happened. And he is wanting to know more about angels. Is there any, I'm sure there is, can you give me a reference uh, in the archives where I can go go back and listen to some stuff about angels? Yeah, Joel, a couple of of problems with it. And yes, I will. Off the top of my head... I'm going to uh, um, go to Hebrews. We've entertained angels unawares. Um, I've talked about angels at the beginning of uh, the Gospels, especially Matthew and Luke, um, the role of, of Gabriel and Michael. Um, we talked about that a lot in our Old Testament studies in Daniel as well. Um, but the truth is the Bible purposely doesn't tell us a lot about angels. And the reason is that we, who are humans, we have a propensity to worship angels. We think that that they're the rescuers. They're the ones that do things. And I don't know what your son's interest would be in finding out about angels as it relates to the pain in his heart. But um, I can say this, that, that angels are God's servants sent to those uh, sent to minister to those who have inherited God's promise, sent to, to minister to Christians like you and me. And um, they're God's servants. That's all they are. And servants really don't want the attention, and yet we give them attention. There's a book, uh, uh, Billy Graham wrote a book called Angels, um, and, and it was fairly balanced. Uh, but most of the time, um, you know, the Bible doesn't say much about angels, and we got books that are 250 pages about angels, and I think that's just a lot of speculation, and I'm not sure it's healthy. I can say this, Joel, and and the one thing that, that I would say to your son if I knew him and was able to sit with him and help him to sort of process his pain, I would say to him that the, the moment his daughter was lost, an angel was sent by Jesus to take her into his very presence. And the, the, the focus should never be on the angel. The focus should be on Jesus. And his daughter, bless her heart, was looking into the face of the one who loved her and the one who she'll be with for the rest of eternity. And that he will, if he is a born-again believer, that he too one day will be reunited with her and they will make up for lost time and there won't be anything at all that they will be missing out on. 
So, Joel, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have my producer sort of look through the archives and get one. So kind of stay tuned uh, and we'll we'll get an idea uh, about when some of the most in-depth teachings I've done on angels are. Joel, thank you. I'm sorry for your son's um, pain and I will be praying for him. Here is a question from Gregory. How is it possible to reconcile God's sovereignty and man's free will? Um, Gregory, as, as you may know or expect, this is a question that we get quite often here. And not only is it possible to reconcile God's sovereignty and man's free will, uh, it, it is um, simple because both things are true. God is sovereign. But I think most of the time when people run into problems with this, they hear God is sovereign and, and then they immediately connect mentally with, well, God makes people do things. I've had people say, well, why should I pray? God is sovereign. Well, you pray because he told you to pray and you pray because in praying you become more like him and you have his heart. So God is sovereign, but he doesn't cause things to happen. He knows things are going to happen, but he doesn't cause things to happen. And that's why we can still exercise our free will, whether it's to choose Jesus or to reject Jesus, whether to make good decisions during the day or bad decisions. Those are decisions that we have the freedom to make. And um, I don't find any difficulty at all in reconciling the two. Both things are true. And in fact, I'll go one step farther and say that God's sovereignty and his power are never more evident than when God still accomplishes his will, when we humans, by our own will, have chosen to rebel against him. So, again, I, don't, I just don't see the problem. People think, well, that's a deep theological question. It's really not. Uh, we are chosen by God, but God didn't make us choose him. Uh, he just knew that we were going to choose him. Um, so, yes, God is sovereign, and man does have free will, and both doctrines are taught from cover to cover in our Bibles. So I hope that answers your question, uh, Gregory. Nicholas says, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, what does it mean to be partakers of the divine nature? Um, Nicholas to be a partaker, um, Christ in us, the hope of glory. When the Holy Spirit touches our lives, we are a partaker of God's divine nature. Uh, he, he, the Holy Spirit, comes in us, Christ in us, and we become more like him. Um, Peter invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good, and literally that word means delicious. I like always to comment on that. Um, because the divine nature is that magnificent. It's like touching heaven for a moment. It's, it's, it's wanting what he wants. It's wanting to be pure. It's wanting to, to pursue holiness. It's wanting to be closer and closer to the Lord. So to be partakers of the divine nature simply means that we have agreed with God that he's in charge, we're not, Ask him for his spirit, and he pours out his spirit upon us and then through us, and we accomplish the work that he's called us to do. It's sort of like partnering with him, partnering with Jesus in whatever his plan for us is. I tell our church here all the time, Nicholas, that we ought to get up every day and say, okay, Lord, what about me and what about today? That's partaking of the divine nature. It's It's learning to say no to our flesh so that we can say yes to him. And the beautiful part of this, Nicholas, is that God wants us to be partakers constantly. It's not just a one-time decision that we make, although that's where it might begin, but it's all day, every day. He wants us to be with him and so that we can partner with him in his will or his plan rather than our own. And that's what it means to be partakers of the divine nature. It's not only Christ in us, the hope of glory, but it's a whole process of sanctification. 
uh, sanctification is 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 becoming more like Jesus every day. And um, it, it's not only the best way to live, it's the only way to live. It's the abundant life that Jesus promised us. And the only thing that we have to be on guard against, Nicholas, is sin, because when Jesus comes into us in the person of the Holy Spirit upon conversion, um, the only time that we can um, partake of that um, divine nature is when we're walking in fellowship with him. Here's a called-in question from Thomas. I like this question, Thomas. How valid is the book The Late Great Planet Earth? Um, Thomas, let me start out by saying uh, God uses things that aren't perfect and sometimes even out of balance. In The Late Great Planet Earth, it was a book written by Hal Lindsey um, in the uh it's either the very late 60s or the, the early 70s. I can't remember which off the top of my head. Uh, but it was a, a book, literally, that sparked a revival, the Jesus People Revival. Uh, it was a book about uh, the rapture of the church being imminent. It was a small paperback, and you'd see uh, these these born-again hippies with, with the Bible in their hand and the late great planet Earth uh, stuck in their back pockets. Um, and, and so the book was used by the Lord. It was just perfect timing. And um, and as the Spirit of God was moving, that was one of the vessels, one of the instruments that he used. Now, having said that, uh, Hal Lindsay's, um, um, both his life and his doctrine is all over the place. Um, his doctrine basically is pretty solid, but he is a sensationalist. Remember, people that make their money selling things have to get more and more sensational to sell them. So Hal Lindsey, though he may have started well, he didn't finish that well. Uh, I know in his personal life, he was married many, many times. Um, uh, there, there was all kinds of character questions, um, reputation questions. Um, all I can say is that that's all I know. Uh, it's not something that I would really dig in to find out what was true. Um, but the book, uh, I think, on its own merit, uh, is probably useful. Now, again, we need to have our solid eschatology, eschatology um, um, in mind uh, and, and, and throw out the, the bad and hold on to the good. But uh, I think it's probably a good place to start if you're interested in uh, the last day's things. It was published in 1970. My producer just told me. I said, "Was well, late 60s or the early 70s?" Well, balance right in the middle, 1970. Uh, and and I've read the book. And um, well, my eschatology doesn't depend on the late great planet Earth any more than uh, it did for the Left Behind series. Um, you know, the, the book is basically truthful. Uh, they're pre-trib, pre-millennial. Pre, uh, um, um, in their eschatology, and and I think from that, the book can be a blessing. So, Thomas, I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. We're inside now of four minutes. Um, tough question. This will be the last one I take today. It's anonymous. Um, she says, I've been living with my boyfriend for nine years. We have two kids. I recently got saved and want to know, should I marry him? He is an unbeliever or leave him? Um, anonymous, um, first of all, God bless you. Welcome to the family of God. Uh, we're thrilled that you got saved. But here's what you have to do right now. You've got to stop living in sin. So whether you marry him or not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make that decision immediately. What I would do is say, I know you're an unbeliever. You won't understand this, but we're not going to have sex. And in fact, we can't live in the same house together. And one of you needs to move. And, and and then you can start letting him know um, uh, that you love him, if that's the case. Um, but um, take a stand for Jesus. Share your Jesus with him and pray that he gets saved. I would never, ever, 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 even in situations like this, counsel um, somebody to marry an unbeliever. Having said that, you've got children involved. And so this is something that you really need to make right right this minute. And you do that by, by getting right with God. We're going to move out. Um, if you've got to move in with family or something else, take the kids and do that. 
Uh, but stop having sex with somebody you're not married to. That's sin. And that will get in the way of your new, wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and then seek the Lord on this. And, and a couple of things would happen. One, by taking a stand with this unbelieving man, you would be letting him know that in spite of the fact that you do love him, you'd be letting him know that you love Jesus more. And um, he'd see the change in your life. He'd see the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I have seen many, many instances like this over the years, Anonymous, where the unbeliever in this situation got saved. So this is one of those, you take a stand for Jesus now. Stop sleeping with him. Uh, get out of the house or, or, or ask him to get out of the house and tell him, I'm not mad. I'm not, it's just, I, I can't sin anymore. I found Jesus. He found me. And my prayer is that you will get saved and we could one day get married and, and, and put our relationship in a place where God can bless it. But I would say I'm not going to marry an unbeliever. Just for the sake of the kids, that's not a good situation for the children to be involved in either. So welcome to the family of God. Now it's time for you to start taking a stand for Jesus. I know you're new in the faith and these things are difficult. But God will be there. Jesus will bless you abundantly if you are obedient to him. We will be praying for you. These are these are good questions to be asking. And one more time, I want to bless your heart for surrendering to Jesus Christ. And I'm excited about the life that he has in store for you. Hey, thank you for listening today, for tuning in. It's February 1st. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I am Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.